0: You're listening to The Ghouls Gang Podcast. I am Zoe. I'm going to be your host for today. But more importantly, I am joined by my two fabulous guests. Um, and we are going to be talking about a couple of J-horror films. So today I'm joined by Ukraine and Sarah. Um, Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself and let everyone know a little bit about you? Um, yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Sarah.
1: Um and J Horror, very much my wheelhouse, big <laughs> fan of the of the of the whole kind of area of uh horror. And uh yeah, I would I'm um, really excited to be here tonight
0: very excited yeah as soon as we were talking about j-horror I was like Sarah you must you must be on this <laughs> podcast because I know that it's like definitely your bag um which is why I'm very excited you're going to have you on because please do introduce yourself but you're a bit of a newbie to j-horror aren't you
2: I am, I am. So I am the host of the podcast What a Scream. Um, I'm also a writer for Ghouls magazine, moving pictures, done a few things for Fangoria. Um, and yes, I am a newbie to J Horror. Now I am the biggest fan of K horror. Uh, and for some reason I just never migrated towards Japan, even though like I like Japan as a country. Like I'm a big fan of Japanese food and Japanese culture. But I think it's because my first introduction to J horror was this like clip movie show on MTV. And they showed this uh, clip from the grudge, the original Jew on the grudge. And I was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm dead. No, was never going to watch was that. Was it the stairs scene? It was, was it- the, it was the bit where she gets into bed and she lifts up the covers. Oh and yes. I was like, yes. no, no, I'm yeah. sorry. That's not me. So then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> talking to people like Amber, um, and she was like, you know what? You've just got to do it. You've just got to <laughs> dive into j her. So that's what I've been yeah. doing recently. I am the newbie. I love <laughs> that. And uh, yeah, I mean,
0: to be fair, the Juon is like one of the most terrifying mm. films I've ever seen. I genuinely, I probably watched it when I was like 15, 16, genuinely kicked my dad out of <laughs> like my parents' room. And I was like, "Mom, I am sleeping in this room with you Forever, because fuck <laughs> that. Also, the attic scene, the shower yeah. scene, and my best friend' her bedroom, and I don't know how she sleeps at night. Her bedroom, the attic is above her bed, above her. No, actual no. Bed. like no. what is going on? Can you no. imagine?
1: <laughs> it's it's also that that noise that. Uh, uh,
0: uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. not. It's not the one, yeah. it's not Which the one. Which is kind of
2: funny for me because like sometimes I do a lot of like oral stimming and I find myself doing that noise a lot when I'm just like, I just need a release. So I just do that noise. It's so weird. I'm such a weirdo. <laughs> but like, I actually watched you on The Grudge a couple of weeks ago and I was watching it and I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. This isn't so bad. The end scene, the very end scene where mm-hmm. you just get a, like a, a long shot of her. I think she's in the attic. And I was just like, Oh great, now I can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sleeping for a week. Yeah, and no, I- it's
1: like as as I always say that as much as I have my I refer to it as a benign obsession with uh all things ring, the two on series is is scarier, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think and I think um that's kind of like one of the the symbols known for J Horror, isn't it? For it being like pretty scary in comparison to a lot of other films and you know even if you look at like a lot of the American remakes and we won't go into them all otherwise we'll be here forever but if you look (laughs) at the American remakes even they just don't seem to have that same scariness about them so I'm quite interested because today we're going to be discussing two different films um they're very different the first film we're going to be discussing is I know I can't say it but Naroy The Curse which is from 2005 and then we're going to be looking at Perfect Blue from 1997 so let's start with Naroi, which I guess probably kind of stays in that wheelhouse of well, well we'll we'll get into it but stays in that wheelhouse of um terrifying let's say so I'm gonna put this out there but what were your first experiences with the film Sarah I know that you like this one and you've seen it and you suggested it and I feel like me and your grain might have a slightly different point of view <laughs> but I'm keen to know kind of like yeah your first experience with it
1: um yeah i mean i'm aware i'm going to be outnumbered here but um so it was it was kind of one of those ones that as i um cuz obviously when we i mean you guys both know sort of like when you start discovering a particular uh subgenre you know you just explore you try to find it all the ones and Naroya was one that came up again and again and again and i couldn't find it anywhere and in the end i found a let's say online video of dubious legality um and I finally watched it and I remember I was sitting in my room um sitting on my bed and watching it on uh, my laptop and I just kind of I I got like a I was sitting with a cushion on my lap and over the course of the film I it was just kind of I just got tenser and tenser and by the end I'm just crushing this poor pillow and yeah it's kind of been a bit of a fave ever since it's it's one that was very much underground until it got uh, picked up by shudder a few years back mm. and uh, so it's quite easy to get hold uh, easier to get hold of now um and uh, yeah i just i just think it's a great i think it just it builds the world of its story quite well and It just kind of soaks you you're you're like a sponge just sitting in this puddle of creepy dirty folk horror water
0: (laughs) yeah it's a very um I like the word I like the way that you've kind of described it as like soaking it up because I mean I don't know how much soaking um I like to do but that definitely feels quite true for this one um Ukraine had you seen this one before we did the podcast or was this the first time for you
2: no this was the first time for me so I'd always seen it on shadow and I was like right you know I've got to watch that it's found footage which you know mockumentary which I'm a massive massive fan of like I love found footage I love mockumentary horrors um and so I was really excited to watch it and then I was watching it and I I don't know whether it's because I have a really bad attention span, but I just kept drifting in and out. And it had come to the end of the film and I was like, oh, fuck, I have no clue what just happened. Like, I have, z- I wouldn't be able to tell you the plot. So I had to go back and watch, it and watch it. And even now, I can remember really clearly the beginning and I can remember really clearly the end. But I'm still really fuzzy about the middle. <laughs> don't ask me about the middle. I have no clue. <laughs> Do you know what? I feel like it's like... I don't know,
0: so much happens in the film and obviously um, it's a long film. <laughs> it's, uh, it is, what, it is a very long film. Right, it's about, it's just under two hours, is it, I think?
1: I want to say just about on two hours. I'm going to check this now. Um, 115 minutes, so yeah, just
0: under two hours. Yeah, and um, I don't know. So I, I'd had this on my watch list for... Ages, and I know Sarah yourself, some of the other ghouls, Amber. Um, love this, and you know what? Everyone I know as well. Like, I go on letterbox, I'm seeing four stars, four and a half. I'm like, it has to be my jam. Like, love j horror, love fan footage mockumentary, like you, you grain. My god, I was like, I watched it yesterday and yeah I just really struggled um mm. with it as a first experience and I'd love to give it another opportunity but I just don't think I can hack that um which was <laughs> yeah. interesting because obviously we kind of coming on to like the the makeup of it as you said Ukraine, grain obviously there's that middle section and I think it's a really great piece of found footage as a film because there's a lot going on but perhaps there's too much going on what what are both your kind of thoughts when it comes to the way that the the found footage of the film is kind of constructed because it is it's a bit complex in places
2: yeah yeah I, I definitely feel that if this film was the personification of like an internet meme it would be that one you know Charlie from uh it's always sunny in Philadelphia and he's got all the red strings that's that's kind of how I felt it was, it was just it was almost maniacal in its uh inclusion of different I I, I liked the whole hey we're going to follow this psychic guy around and you know, he's investigating the story and it leads him to th- this rural folk tale from, you know, countryside of Japan. And that's super interesting. But I, it kind of was intermingled with these, um like t- almost a television show of these psychic children. And I felt that took me out of it a bit too much.
1: Yeah, it does seem to be like there's lots of kind of like dangling threads mm. and and i would i would say kind of like enough of them come together in the end but i can sort of like as as you're experiencing for the first time yeah no you you are just like wait what's what's like uh, there's the point where bit where he's kind of looking into this guy who's got a particular fixation on pigeons and then that just kind of goes away for a bit and you're just like oh what the hell but I actually run footage that we get a lot of in that middle section because we have the variety show with the psychic children. And fun fact the psychic girl, Kana, is played by the same little girl who was in Dark Water, the um, nice. Hideo Nakata film. She's she's a little girl. Um, I think her name's Ikiku, Ikuko in that. But um, so you've got that. And then you've also got like a bit of a like an unaired bit of like a another random variety show really we've learned that variety shows are evil um (laughs) and it's like two comedians taking a a young actress to a creepy place and then you've also got uh, at one point there's like a news footage so I really like kind of like the variety of those because it's like it's almost kind of like a scrapbook of different sources kind of pasted in together and if you look at the individual bits you're like well What's this got to do with anything else? But then when you see them all kind of laid out together, you're like, oh, this is the bigger picture.
0: Yeah, I think the the attention to detail is very, very good in this film. Like, you know, I think when you see a lot of fan footage, they do kind of skip over what might like help build the case. Or as you said, Sarah, like that kind of like scrapbooking. I think, I don't know, like the the variety, <laughs> I mean it did make me feel like really immersed in the culture and what I would expect, you know, I've never been to Japan, but I guess I have my preconceptions of, of things like their TV shows Um, and that particular TV show with the psychic. I don't know what it was. I mean, I found it hilarious. I loved it. I was like, it feels very much like a good portrayal of what you might see on TV if you, you lived in Japan, but I found like some of those bits just didn't, Oh, god i've just hit my microphone over um didn't connect over together i don't know like it just felt like there was they could have maybe cut a good chunk out of the film and it still would have been quite coherent yeah i
1: think that's fair i think there are um maybe certain bits that could have been trimmed like i mean yeah i'm thinking i mean like the Stuff with the actress, I think there are some really good moments with her. Um, and like the thing where like they get the video footage of her apartment and she just kind of like she's sleepwalking and making these weird, intricate knots and things. And I I like those bits, but to like it, it could definitely be kind of trimmed down in places.
2: Hmm. I I kind of related it to Lake Mungo a lot. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt it was like in the same vein. But whereas Lake Mungo does a lot of like chopping and, and splicing of footage, but it car- it is quite a long graft. But it carries on that building of tension. Whereas I found with Naroy, like you said, the the footage where your ones in the apartment and you're watching her sleep, like that was really tense. I was like, oh holy shit, you know something's gonna go down. But I just found that like the more colorful, the more bright moments like these variety shows took me out of that tension a bit but not to the point where it's like okay now I have a breather it was just like I don't know it just took my attention out of it and I don't know whether that's because my mind is just like blah, blah. anyway so when I'm <laughs> confronted with media that's like that it's like really bad but yeah I just felt it broke the tension a lot but not in a good way
1: I can I can, understand, I can absolutely see that because like yeah you you're just like
0: good and it's like wait what the hell is this <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you um mentioned Lake Mungo because do you know what I absolutely think that is a piece of trash um as a movie which I know is a super unpopular opinion um yeah, I, love I love it <laughs> <Like, laughs> I love it now I watched it with some friends and we genuinely turned it off and we were like what have we just wasted our lives on? And <laughs> I watched this and I felt the same. I was like, if I had like um, no. a, a fire, Lake Mungo and Neroy the Curse are just thrown into that fire together. No. <laughs> Get out now.
1: (laughs) Won't be getting you the Lake Mungo Blu-ray for your birthday then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Please send that back (laughs) ASAP. But um, I think, you know, like what you were saying uh, about kind of like that, the pacing and taking you out of it. I think when you, like when I'm thinking of the film, like if you remove some of those elements, like and make it a bit faster pacing, there's some really scary stuff in this film. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, like in a way I was a bit upset because I was like it feels like there's so much here um and I'm thinking in comparison to a film like The Wailing for instance which is long is slow as hell but I'm terrified like start to finish with that whereas this one because it kind of like interrupted that that tension as you said Ukraine, grain that's where I lost it um Sarah, obviously you, you feel quite differently about that. Like, do you feel like the pacing of the film does add to the terror? Because most people seem to agree with that.
1: I would say so. I would say that um yeah, I mean, I, I felt that tension that uh you guys felt was lacking. I I and I guess the kind of fragmented uh quality like like in terms of kind of like the different bits and pieces. I just, I liked that as almost kind of like a puzzle. Like it felt like all these little pieces that as I'm watching in my head, I'm just trying to put, I'm like, how does this all fit together? How does, and so I suppose kind of like as much as there were the moments where you're like, well, what's this now then? There's also a part of me that's like, oh, how is this going to all fit in together? And that ending, um, I I think the beginning and the ending are kind of like the strongest elements but I do uh one thing that I do love in um the middle is there's this uh creepy film reel of like a ritual being performed mm-hmm. and I, I love that scene kind of like with you have like the de- the demonic mask you have I mean it, it there's so many things about it it's kind of like in the essence of it you've got a ritual that's gone wrong and now people are paying the price um and it's also that kind of thing which i i always love in um horror stories is that uh the main character's curiosity is almost the worst villain (laughs) because they just need to find out they need to and um and and uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of like I dig that, and I like the kind of the folky elements, but also uh, the director Koji Shiraishi. Um, he does like his cosmic horror. He likes uh, bringing in a bit of the Eldritch Lovecraftian kind of vibe, and yeah, it's it's just a case of just all of it. It it worked for me, and whilst. Yeah, there are scary ones out there. I think this has a lot of very particular images. There's one of um, um a Tori gate, the uh large, the gates in the shrines. Mm. Uh, this and you see kind of like an image of a girl standing there, uh, with certain things, shall we say, crawling on her. And <laughs> I like I love that image. I love that moment. And there's also um another one at the end of someone standing in a room, and you're like, yeah, Um but yeah, it's it's kind of a case of like, it's it's one of those films where I can understand it not working for someone. Um, but for me, it it just kind of clicked. And I think after I, after I first watched it, I, I referred to it to someone as the Japanese wicker man. <laughs> mm.
2: yeah, yeah, it does
0: feel like that.
2: Yeah, there were definitely some things that I, like I'm not just going to stand here and like put it on blast for <laughs> half an hour because there were definitely some bits like, I really enjoyed the creepy kid element. Like give me a creepy mm. kid. I yeah. do love creepy kids. They are good creepy kids. They are good and creepy kids. Japanese filmmakers do creepy kids really freaking well. <laughs> um, and I also liked, you know, the inclusion of the demon, Kagutaba, because I love my demonic horror. I really, really do. And the final scene is horrifying. Like, mm, yeah. that is downright horrifying. So there are bits I do like. But I think, like Zoe, I'm just, I'm sh- I struggle with its pacing. Yeah, yeah. no, I totally get that. And I think, you
0: know, most people I spoke to, they had like, they had a fairly like similar reactions to all of us. They either absolutely adored it, pacing completely worked for them. And they were like, you know, it builds tension over such a long period that you really do kind of, you know, that intensity is ramping up. Or, and this was... I've got to say, this was probably my favourite comment from someone on Twitter, that the true curse of the film is the pacing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay. But, you know, regardless of that, like you said, you know, um, there's some great like folklore element to it. Um, I also don't like the Wicker Man, so clearly I'm just <laughs> oh,
1: and I love the, Wicker oh, man. Here we go. I the Wicker
0: man. All the pieces it's all coming that, together. <laughs> it's, it's those rope, those red bits, they're yeah. all coming together, aren't they? Now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, for me, like I did really like the, the folklore element to it and that kind of aspect of um the ritual and spoiler alert for anyone listening um but the eating of babies and abortions and um I think you know it made me think a lot about the the wailing again in terms of you know that folklore element and also uh dumplings which is all about you know women wearing uh, wearing women eating um fetuses to stay younger wearing would be equally as horrifying though <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so in terms of kind of like the folklore how do you feel like it kind of like holds up against other folklore did you like it
1: Hmm. i mean like in terms of like i would say the folklore aspect because uh folklore in japan is very kind of regional like there are certain things that that you find um everywhere, but there are certain kind of like legends and folklore beliefs that are very tied to certain regions and so relatively unknown outside of that one region. And that it that's that's kind of like so so it was very much like this town is particularly because it was all about this one town that uh they summoned Kagutaba and then had to seal him away because summoning a demon not the best idea um but then the town is uh flooded for a dam and that also has the element of modernity kind of encroaching on the traditional to horrible consequences which uh is i think quite a a thing that has reoccurred in other kind of folk horror stories and also like other i mean general kind of horror stories is that kind of we have pissed off something ancient um by <laughs> not paying attention to it mm. and now terrible terrible things
2: yeah i again i'm gonna like call on another found footage but the medium is mm. um, oh, yeah. a, a, it's a thai film and it's it's absolutely like engorged with its folklore it's all about its folklore mixed with this modern element of this documentary makers Mm. and I feel like the this kind of I feel like Naroi didn't have that fluid connection with its folklore and this idea of modernity at the same time I just felt it was very like I just wish that they'd include more of the folklore and it kind of felt like they pussyfooted around it a lot and I was like, no, we need more, more of this folklore because this is already fucking up a whole, you know, it's not It's not just in its rural setting anymore. It's coming into the cities as well. And I just really wish that they kind of played a little bit more on that rather than kind of, as I said, being quite subtle with its treatment of that yeah.
1: point. Yeah, no, I, 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 I kind of agree with that. I would have liked a bit more because it's just kind of like, we're just getting like little tidbits and, mm, you know, yeah. it's just like, I want more. Yeah, yes, want the good stuff. <laughs> but, yeah. And I mean, I I loved the medium, like that was great. And that was uh I believe one of the same producers or the writer as The Wailing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh another Thai horror film, which I love, uh Shutter. Um mm, yeah. with uh photo ghosts. Um <laughs> don't talk to me about the remake for that one unless if you want me to get mad. Um <laughs> but yeah no the me- the medium is great and and yeah i would say kind of like that one really does in terms of sort of like blending the folklore with the horror and uh um th- like it makes sure that you 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 get what's going on from that spiritual yeah. point of view
0: i think that's one thing i've always like loved about j horrors bringing like that folklore into like modern times you know like with Shutter or even um Cairo known also as Pulse that one for me is like my top J horror obviously like bringing out you know folklore and ghosts into the computers Mm. and and Mm. and I think that's what like to me J horror does so so well is you know when I think of folklore I think of like oh you know something like the witch I'm like they don't have um they don't have you know, computers, they don't have phones, they don't have, like, this modern technology. And it's, there's almost, like, a disconnection there, whereas, like, as, as, you you know, we've kind of touched on, like, with something like The Medium, by bringing it into the modern world and all of these kind of J-horrors, it just feels so more terrifying. Like, I constantly think of Kyra, and I'm like, Jesus, fuck. Like, if this little ghost comes out of my computer and then is, like, a stain on my wall, I'm out. Like I will destroy every <laughs> technology in the house. I swear to God.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I love and I, I adore Cairo. Like, like it's 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 kind of like I mean, I also refer to that film as the Depression Apocalypse. Um, because mm. by the end of it, it's just just to- total desolation. Um, but yeah, it is that kind of thing where it's like this technology, which has a very can have a very connecting element can also very much isolate us and that is when we are vulnerable to these um these dark elements shall we
2: say yeah i've always found with like what i'm experiencing now with j-horror is so as i said i come from like a k-horror fan Mm -hmm. background and that's very fairy tale like and it's very fantasy almost um a lot about revenge, which I guess is similar with the J-horror. But one thing I found with a lot of J-horror is it's very much um, a kind of a commentary on the breakdown of traditional values. And they mixing this with modern technology. I mean, especially with something like Ring and Ringu. It's such a commentary on the breakdown of traditional family units. Um, mm-hmm but it's also bringing it into modern technology and how that is affecting tradition traditional family values of what japan is kind of known for as well yeah and I, the traditional
1: versus modernity that mm. is definitely a thing and i mean when you were saying about um that, that it it kind of puts me in mind of there will be time, if you if um when you if you go to japan um mm. you'll be walking down a street and you'll have all these uh, um massive then will be a tiny little shrine and so it really is that kind of jarring mixture of these things being next to each other in a way that like they it's it's that juxtaposition because these things seem so opposed but here they are together
2: yeah and i guess that's what Naroi is kind of about isn't it that hmm. there is this demon from the ancient times and it's still there and now it's seeping into what is basically modern urban life and that it can never go away no matter how much you build cities over it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And that's um I guess in that sense, you know, that is quite a, a terrifying concept uh that we see, you know, time and time again in, in horror films. Um and you know when we're looking at kind of like the film overall, obviously and again, spoiler alert, but the the kind of the final evil is centered a lot around children. Um, do you think this is kind of, I guess, I get like a bit of a commentary on what we're saying here about like the family units, you know, what we know about kind of um, Japan? I mean, in a lot of J-horror, and I don't know the history or anything here, but in a lot of J-horror, you know, even in something like Juwan, the children seem to be this vessel for these evil, evil beings to come through i don't know if that's kind of like something to do with um you know folklore or culture i don't know if either of you know anything more about kind of why kids or are they just creepy (laughs)
2: um because they're evil little shit bags yeah yeah, I mean <laughs> I mean I think I, I think it's no uh, demon vessel, they are evil <laughs> incarnate by themselves. I
1: think it kind of just is the whole, you know, oh, like like that having, you know, something evil in this thing of innocence is like children mm. as innocence being corrupted. Um I mean I can't uh immediately recall off the top of my head any particular kind of like um things about uh children being vessels for evil um but i mean it is kind of like uh one of those uh things that like we we see in in a in a film it's just like oh yeah creepy kid
2: i know where this is going um (laughs) yeah i mean kids are always the vessels it's like a a typical trope isn't it i mean if it's not you one from poltergeist or danny from the shining like so it's we see it kind of all over the place but for some reason Japan just they don't even have to do all that much scary stuff just a kid standing there you're like Ugh. oh
0: damn. <laughs> it's, like,
1: it's, like, yeah. it's like like Yoichi the kid from Ring is like you know he's just walking along with an umbrella and it's somehow sinister <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. But um, I guess you've you, you summed it up there as well. Kids are just evil little shits. So um, yeah. that's that's. I, have, I can why. say
2: that I have one. I have
0: one so. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I guess I kind of love to hear. Um. Before we move on to the other the other film that we're going to discuss, um. Your kind of like closing thoughts on it and. You know, would you? I guess would you recommend this to other people at all? I'm I'm going to go first and say absolutely not, but uh, <laughs> that, that, that's just my
1: personal opinion. Um, I would say kind of it's it's not one. It's it's kind of like, even though um, again you you are kind of like the J horror newbie. It isn't one I would necessarily say to a newbie to watch. I would say kind of like Noria's is one that I think can it's more kind of like when you have a more kind of like foundational, this is a, I'm not saying like, like, you know, you you have to watch this other stuff to get Naroy. But I think it's probably best enjoyed when you you have a bit more familiarity with J-horror maybe. Um, But I, it is one that um, if you're not on board with it, you're really not on board with it. but if it works you it really really works yeah. for you <laughs> i think
2: i'm going to be in the middle i'm going to be that <laughs> annoying person i'm going to be switzerland <laughs> um i would recommend it to watch because i feel like when it comes to found footage there's so much talk about western cinema like so much talk and mm. i just feel like it's it's important to kind of realize what other cinematic cultures have done with this genre of horror and it is interesting for the folklore um aspect of it so i think i would recommend it but don't come at me if you hate it
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we are discussing next up from 1997 um which I didn't realise is a very long time ago now, which, yes, made me feel very (laughs) old, is Perfect Blue, which unfortunately we haven't got Ariel Basker here who was going to join us because Ariel has been banging on at me uh, to watch this for a while. And after having seen it, I feel upset that I didn't watch it sooner, actually. Um, And it was a welcome relief after watching noroi the Curse, I'm not gonna lie. What were both of your ex- first experiences with this film? Because it's quite uh it's quite an intense watch to say the least.
1: Yeah, in intense is definitely a word for it. And um <laughs> I mean I actually only saw this for the first time quite recently. Um I'm uh the director Satoshi Khan um He's kind of like one of those um, anime directors that I've seen very little of his stuff. So I was like, right, I'm going to finally watch some of his stuff. And that led me to watching Perfect Blue. And I actually, I just, I really like this film. It's, it's, it is, like you say, intense. And unfortunately, I'd actually read about an element of the ending. Mm. Um, But even then, at the same time, Even though I knew that and I knew what was coming, there are still moments in it where I'm like, "Is this real? Is is this real? Is is this real?" (laughs) Um, So it it just even even knowing it, it still Mm. just kind of threw me for a psychological loop. Um, But I just it it's just and this was also his uh, first feature film, uh, Satoshi Kon. Wow. So yeah. And uh, I mean, uh, there's there's other stuff I can get into, uh, but but yeah, no, I, this is uh, I really dig this one, and I think it's
2: just gotten more relevant over time. For me, I'm gonna I'm gonna be that dickhead. I have never <laughs> seen an anime before. Uh, this was the very first anime I've ever <laughs> seen. I'm oh, wow! Not, I'm not a fan of animation unless it's like this sassy animated girl and her wisecracking animal sidekick from Disney um I just it's just never been on my radar to be like right I've got to watch this anime but this fucked me up like this (laughs) proper like I was just didn't know I could feel this way about animation um yeah it was so intense and it was just there was a scene that made me feel physically sick and i didn't know that was possible from animation oh, yeah well um yeah.
1: i think as far as films to uh, pop your anime cherry shall we say um, <laughs> it's like you know some people they watch my neighbor totoro
0: or <laughs>
1: dragon ball z nope straight in the deep end with perfect mm. blue yeah
0: <laughs> yeah it's, Um. i mean i i'm not I, i'm the same as you ukraine like i really don't get on with anime or cartoons um I do have some hilarious stories about something very inappropriate uh, containing hentai from school, but that's a story from another day. And that was probably, I don't know whether that put me off, um, (laughs) anime for life, but this, I don't know, like usually I find anime and cartoons really hard to kind of like gel with on an emotional level, but perfect blue, obviously we follow, um, our main character Mimi Mima who is a pop idol in a pop band who decides to become an actress Um, and then from there some very very dark things start to happen after she starts to become stalked uh, by a fan um, discovers that she's being kind of like exploited in her actress career but I just found like I've never connected so emotionally with uh with an anime or a cartoon before.
1: Okay. Um yeah, it's it's like I mean a lot of like the I mean one thing which is is I think the main kind of like thing of the film is is fantasy versus reality and you get that Um, whole thing straight away in the first scene where you have kind of like uh, the idol group that Mima is part of, Cham, or Charm. I'm I'm very unsure how that... uh, Cham, Charm? I think maybe Cham, like baby Cham. I think think, think, (laughs) think you see a poster with Cham, but whenever they say it, it sounds like Charm. But anyway, um, you have kind of like the intercutting you have like their performance which is like bright lights sparkly you know cute clothes and everything and then kind of intercut with that you just have Mima's normal errands kind of like like the like there is a reality like there is just her the mundane reality of like even though she is this like cutesy pop idol and she's um she's got all these fans and oh boy do fans play a big uh kind of part in this um you know, she is just just normal woman. She's buying milk and fish food and just going to her apartment. But that's one gets... thing
2: sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say that's one thing that I really, really liked with this film. Like, like you said, it was nineteen ninety seven, which is what, twenty five years ago?
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: it feels scarier now. Yeah, because yeah. Because of our um social media and our technological advancement in those 25 years to the point where everyone is in the same situation as our main character we're all yeah micro online celebrities almost with a certain amount of followers and with this kind of certain like disconnect from what our real life or our real personality is you know we put ourselves out there online to be a certain way whether we are you know the horror writer or we're the pin-up model or the burlet. you know I'm just talking from my own personal experience here and it's like that's so disconnected to who we are as a whole person and I just found that really resonated in Perfect Blue because as well like you said the fans one particular fan gets really obsessed with this image of um, Mima. Mima. Is it? Mm. Mima. He gets obsessed with this perfect image of Mima. And when that image is broken by Mima herself, by becoming this actress and doing these kind of risque scenes, as it mm. were, he becomes absolutely distraught and like goes absolute psychopathic about it. And that is what it's like to have followers. In an online presence like if you yeah. put out something that isn't what they think you should put out they will absolutely rip you to shreds yeah and they, yeah. it's betrayal and
1: it's that fan entitlement which mm. Mm. we've seen a examined a lot in recent years um due to certain fan behaviors shall we say mm. <laughs> last jedi um <laughs> And which got examined quite, uh, I thought, quite well in uh, the new screen movie.
2: Hmm. It
1: is just like, this is mine. I should have a say in what it's like. This is like, you can't even even if it is the person themselves, if it goes away from their image of what it should be, then they lash out. And there's lots of things throughout the film as Mima is doing this. uh, It's like a cop drama. It's a... Mm. very kind of like it's a psychological cop drama and um you have lots of cutaways to like these nerdy guys in various like bookstores and things and they're like oh well you know I never really liked her anyway oh my gosh the fans are gonna be so it's like it's almost as if if this was made now those scenes could almost be like a twitter thread (laughs) Yeah, because it's that sort of thing. I I think one that amused me was like the one who was like, Well, I actually really liked the other girl anyway, so
0: yeah, it does. It honestly, I haven't like felt so terrified by a film in such a long time. And it felt as you both said, like it felt so so relevant to how I think as well, like how females are treated, Mm -hmm. um, you know, by male fans more so probably the most is that it's like that that obsession I mean like I remember being a teenage girl and I was obsessed with you know like uh singers in bands you know Gerard Way I was I mean psychopathically obsessed (laughs) but I was a 15 year old girl whereas Mm. what I find really fucking bizarre in this day and age is that you've got grown married men that are like obsessed with often you know as we see in Perfect Blue with Mima yeah like quite young girls as well some of the time and you know I think looking at like the rise of TikTok it is a little bit scary and a bit borderline like uncomfortable the things you see adult men with children probably similar ages to the girls they're commenting on um, mm. and it's also accessible to them as well like they feel like they have ownership like you were saying about that kind of like fan entitlement I mean I even had someone that I had to miss a call with them back when I did Patreon and then deleted it because I was like fuck that shit that is a, nah, I'm nam all right um, and I had to miss a call with them once and they were like Fuck you. I'm going to cut you out. Like, how dare you do this to me? And I was like, I am not just here to serve your purpose. And it's, and it's that that like I feel Perfect Blue really captures very, very well.
1: Yeah. It's like there's Mima, the person, and Mm. then Mima, the pop idol. But I think there's also just like Mima as just a, a human commodity like that's just used and i mean a lot of this is very relevant to the idol industry um because yeah. that is like i mean there are different types of idol um including adult video idol uh kind of more pin-up idols they're also not as much now there was junior idols which were yep <laughs> it's uh, a <laughs> yeah and um what? so they were typically junior idols they were under 15 typically oh god um some uh would then kind of graduate into being like for more teen idols um there's one group uh Momo-era clover sasa was a junior idol group and they actually made a horror film with koji shiraishi the director of noroi um but yeah, uh, you don't get as much uh junior idols now because of the 2014 Japanese government ban on child pornography. So yeah, there's definitely uh Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, and the thing and also just the control that the talent agencies can have over these girls. Uh one girl, she was a member of um AKB 48, huge idol group. Um based out at Akihabara, which is the geek center of Tokyo. Mm. Um, they have a lot of members, and there's, like, tears, and, and, and like, the singers will get promoted to the different teams. There are 87 members of this girl group, but in different, if different subgroups. It's crazy. But one girl <laughs> um, was demoted and made to shave her head and give a public apology because she had a boyfriend
2: oh my god these girls
1: uh they have to be essentially they have to be pristine they have to be this image of perfection um so that they can be admired essentially i mean um from the wikipedia page an idol is a type of entertainer whose image is manufactured to cultivate a dedicated consumer fan following and it it so these girls, like, they're not allowed to, like I said, they're not allowed to have boyfriends. They're not allowed to do anything that could mess with the image that she's been hired to present.
2: And, yeah, it's it can be very exploitive. Mm. I guess, like, we're all, like, gasping here. But, like, when you think about Britney Spears, when she came yeah. out, everyone was obsessed with her virginity. Like, people, mm. like I said, grown us adults were obsessed with this young girl's virginity and look what happened to her yeah you know no absolutely yeah.
1: and it's like um I, I there's also like loads of idol groups there's like the big kind of pop ones but then you'll also get idol groups which are just based in like local towns like so there's a real kind of range of what idol groups can be um but there'll be like shows where I, it was it was a it was a documentary and um you had this like 50 year old man going to these shows uh to watch these teenage girls sing and dance and that was just what he did after work like after work before he went home to blow off steam he would go to idol shows and oh there'd be like a thing where like people would have like their favorite members because a lot of the time idol groups uh they they get like color-coded mm. and um so they'd have like glow sticks with their favorite girl's color and
0: be waving those around. Oh my God. See, it's just such a like, and and you know, I guess as you said, you're growing like we're sat here kind of like gasping, but it definitely happened with Britney. But even if you just think about back in like the 90s, you know, like when I was growing up, like the these like interviews and stuff, they were questions like that you would ask teen idols is like you know about virginity or sex or these like really provocative uncomfortable questions and I think even now we're seeing a lot of some of these like older interviews resurface and Mm. at that time like I know it seemed really normal, and when I was like um, a teen, we did a lot of this, um, like where you could ask get people to ask you anonymous questions, or your friends would, and it was always like really uncomfortable questions. You'd get them from like older men off the internet, and it seemed so normal to answer like a man older than my dad going, "Oh, you know, what's your favorite position?" I'm like, "Lo, I haven't even had sex yet." And to think about it now, like, and even, you know, looking back on a film like Perfect Blue, it's like, holy fuck, like we lived through that culture. And it still happens now as well, mm, where absolutely. this this is like it's still going on. It's, it's absolutely mad, like properly shocking. And I think, I mean, I watched Perfect Blue with... Um, My partner, and I found that quite interesting because, I mean, the whole way through, he was just looking at me. He was like, oh, my God. He was like, oh, the women need to get off the Internet. He was like, this is still happening. You know, he was like that scene in Perfect Blue when you see um, the, the creepy stalker guy in his room writing on Mima's room like chat room and he's got all the pictures of around her I just suddenly thought like how many women out there have got men sat at home with their pictures across their fucking like little dungeon basement and you go oh I want to like delete myself off the internet now
1: it (laughs) it is it's so kind of like invasive it feels like ugh, and there's also and you also kind of like um get an because there's a character in the film who's um part of uh Mima's kind of team uh called Rumi who it said was an idol herself but didn't make it and you kind of there's there's a scene where part when as part of the drama Mima has to film a rape scene and it's very intense because because they have to like like change positions and things so she's just in there but then it cuts to Rumi, who's tear has tears coming down her face, and part of it. How much is there's part of me when I when I saw it, first of all that scene that wondered what happened to her? Did something happen to her that like like has how how was she is how was she exploited essentially? And because it it is. I, like I don't I like maybe not uh, kind of like to to the extent of she was made to do something similar, but there they, you definitely get a feeling of you know she's been through something, um especially mm-hmm. in light of certain things that happen later in the film <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah,
0: yeah, I think there's um a really interesting kind of like commentary across kind of like exploitation throughout the entirety of the. The film is that obviously you know she does make the choice to become an actress and she makes certain choices that you know like she says oh yes of course I'll do the rape scene you know in the hopes that it's going to better her career uh and then she goes on to do a photo shoot with a photographer Mm. who's known for coercing women to get nude in front of the camera and you know I I guess you know, from my point of view, doing those things doesn't tarnish your reputation if you're happy to do them. You know, plenty of very reputable women in various industries, you know, do risque photo shoes, um, pose nude, have OnlyFans, you know, all of this can be very empowering if, if you want it to be. But I think Perfect Blue shows the flip side of that where she clearly I interpreted it that she you know she wasn't necessarily forced but she felt like if she didn't she's a problem she's not going to make it as an actress um and I actually found you know the the scene with the photographer really upset me like perhaps even more so than like the rape scene um or the the supposed rape scene in the film
1: yeah no I I totally get that because uh yeah it, it is is she is very much coerced into it she clearly doesn't want to do it but it's like it is that kind of thing where it's like oh I don't want to make trouble oh this you know these people like these people are working so hard to help me and I can't disappoint them and then it's also yeah like what's the consequence if I say no and it is very uncomfortable and then you have kind of like the creepy fan um you see him buying like every copy of the magazine mm. um, that he can because it's like no, no one else gets to see her like this. No one, this this is ruining her. No one gets to see her like this. Um, and it's it's and he's hoarding him in that creepy, creepy room. And it's oh, it it. There's just so many things in this film that are just sort of like the more you think about them, the more just your skin kind of crawls and. Mm.
2: On the topic of exploitation, there was a few aspects of perfect blue that kind of got under my skin, but not in a way that I think was intended. Mm. Um, so we see this obsessed fan and the way he's presented, the way he's drawn and animated is, you know, it looks like he has some form of facial deformity. You know, he's got yeah. the the hair kind of covering his face, yeah. but we see his eyes are very wide set, his teeth yeah. are not yeah. perfectly straight. Um And also Rumi, who, spoiler alert, turns out she is the villain of the piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And Rumi is a lot more heavyset than a lot of the other characters. Mm -hmm. So we've got these two villain characters, both with physical differences from, say, our perfect main characters. And they're the ones that are villainized. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And that bothered me. And as well, this kind of you know it turns out rumi has dissociative identity disorder or what it was yeah. commonly known as multiple personality disorder and it's just unfortunately it has these common stereotypical tropes where mm. those who are physically different or who have mental health problems they're the villains they're the killers they're the bad people and like Was it a product of its time? I don't know. But it's something that really stuck out to me. And unfortunately, that kind of tarnished my enjoyment of it.
1: Yeah, no, I can get that. And um, yeah, it was kind of like what I knew before watching the film was that Rumi was behind it and all that. But Mm. but also at the same time, I feel like even if I didn't know that the second you see her and she is a larger, heavier, older woman, Mm. you know, very much... Outside of this sphere of perfection, mm. yeah, there's part of me that's like, well, yeah, she's 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 the, she's the bad guy. She's obviously the bad guy because she's very different. Mm. If that makes sense. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that you're right. That is a really upsetting point, actually, and and I guess you know it might be a product of its time because you know going back, so many films were so stereotypical that it was always you know I think I even said uh, yesterday when watching it. Um, with my partner, I went. Oh, why did? Why is it always the ugly, the like ugly, odd-looking one that has to be the creepy one? Because you know, I was mm-hmm. like, essentially, that's not true at all. I mean, you think of someone like Ted Bundy, worst serial killer ever. Mm-hmm. You know, he was charming everyone with, with his good looks. So it does feel very stereotypical. And I think actually, you know, like, of course. You know, when we watch when I watch Perfect Blue, I'm kind of, you know, relating to Mima and her loss of identity. And I think there's a lot in this film also about like imposter syndrome, which I'm sure we all struggle with um many times. But I think as well, like I don't know, like Rumi, I felt really sorry for her. Like she's yeah. not portrayed in a in a great light. And it's like I don't think she's necessarily the malicious evil that the film maybe tries to make her out to be, or that she comes across as like, clearly she needs help. And she also doesn't necessarily make the worst decisions on Mima's behalf. Like she does kind of say, don't do the rape scene. Don't go to the photographer, you know, which yes, could be seen as like obsessive fan behavior, but also, you know, might have been good advice at at points in the film. Oh, absolutely.
1: And like, I mean, like I said about her reaction to Mima doing the rape scene, Mm. it's like how much of that is her fixation on Mima and Mima's image and how much of that is maybe even concern for Mima and like her well-being and how much of it is her projecting herself on Mima um yeah yeah. and like you are are they actually um quick question did you guys watch this subbed or dubbed did you watch it with english subbed i watched it dubbed okay so i didn't catch this my first viewing but then i saw people talking about it online but in the last scene Mima says, uh, like someone's sort of notices Mima, and it's like, oh, that must just be look like that can't be the actual Mima because she's obviously gotten more famous now. And then she gets into a car and she says, "It's the real me," but the Mm. voice in the Japanese uh, audio track is Rumi's actress. So it's kind of one last sort of screw with with reality with identity, kind of thing. So so it's like it it's. And it doesn't exist in the in the English uh, dub track, so yeah, she's making this statement of identity, but it's it's it was Rumi's voice, so it, it's the the film just like even then still likes to kind of like mess with you. But yeah, I I just find Rumi more ultimately tragic than anything else. And yes, she she horribly killed people with
0: uh, pointy implements, but.
1: Uh...
0: <laughs> I've got to say, I didn't, I actually, like, I don't know what I was expecting of of this film. Like, I knew a couple of bits, but um, I thought it would just go purely down the psychological. I was really surprised when the killings started happening. For some reason, I didn't think people were going to die. I just thought it was going to be, like, (laughs) this really fucked up kind of, like, which it is a stalking story, mm. and then we see like the first death in the lift with the um, director, and I was like, "Oh shit, this murder!" <laughs> and that kind of, I guess that for me, obviously, made the film even better <laughs> than I thought it was going to be. Well, originally
1: it was just a straight kind of obsessed stalker slasher story, and but Satoshi Kon kind of he didn't like that. So that's when the kind of more psychological elements were brought in. But originally it was just kind of like about this idol who's stalked by a fan. Um, but uh, it is also uh, apparently based on a book. Um, but uh, I think it's quite different from the book. I'm not too sure there. But, yeah, no, the, the, like that, I love that. That It's like the car park and um, the guy hears, like, it's one of Charm songs. Um, playing on like a a, a, like portable radio and then doors close and
2: then the doors open again and you just see his bloody body (laughs) like the bit that I was talking about that made me feel quite sick was the screwdriver attack um, by the pizza delivery person (laughs) Um, and I was just like Jesus this is really violent for a cartoon and it's really like it had such like a visceral reaction in me that I just wasn't expecting from a cartoon from, oh no no the you know, an animated film um but it's just it is it's really brutal and yeah. i love it like you know like <laughs> you know I like a bit of blood and gore it's, and it's like, it was great
1: yeah i mean it like the scene where it goes through his hand as he's reaching for the phone yeah. that one that uh, got a thing about hands so that one really made me just go <laughs> Ugh. um but yeah it is it's so brutal and um visceral it's 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 horrible and then and also but we still get that kind of mind screwiness because Mima thinks that it's her doing this at some point or it's like her idle self doing this and she finds like the bloody clothes of the pizza delivery but obviously planted there but um she 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 is genuinely like am I the one doing this is is this Mm. um but yeah the brutality of it and is is just very
2: icky shall we say <laughs> oh, yeah and one thing I found quite dizzying as well is the way it cuts between reality between what she's filming and mm. you don't every time a scene starts you don't know whether this is part of the tv show she's filming or whether this is part of her real life yeah um and so I found that really dizzying and really disorientating but in a in a good way but oh, it absolutely. had me questioning The reality, you know, it wasn't like I was just watching this film about someone questioning reality. It was like I was questioning that reality as well. Yeah, Yeah. like like and and yeah, that is like the first time I was like, is this
1: is this actually happening, or is this is this actually happening, or is this a dream? Or and (laughs) then there are times when it's kind of blended together, Um, and, and and you really you just don't know. And even now, I cannot like. There's there's so many scenes in it that I cannot definitively say I don't know if that actually happened.
0: <laughs> and I think that's um, I would say that's probably like part of the beauty of of it also being in anime is that I feel like if it had been, you know, real life, it would have been quite hard to to blur the lines between reality and fantasy. And obviously throughout the film, we also see um Mima as the pop idol kind of. pop pop up um, as like a a fictional kind of figment of her imagination which I think you know if you didn't if it wasn't in a cartoon it would be really hard to depict that. Um, Mm. I also think if this film were not anime it would be like a properly extreme nasty film you know it's got all of those elements in it um and I Mm. did read actually apparently perfect blue was um Darren Aronofsky's inspiration for black Swan. which when I read that I was like oh holy shit yeah of course like it makes so much sense
2: he denied that as well. Well oh, he denied it as well. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, sure, Jan. Okay, sure.
1: <laughs> but the thing is, is he owns the rights to um an American adaptation of Perfect Blue. Mm. And according to some people, it's basically so that he could recreate that. Like there's a scene where Mima's kind of like you see an overhead shot of Mima in the bathtub mm. and she's kind of like crouched down. Well, they that's from
2: Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for yeah. a yeah. Dream, yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah. Darren, he recreates it in um Rec for a Dream, and some people say that that's the whole reason he got he has the rights, but that's others people say that he was going to do an uh, American remake of it, but then lost interest. But and then what, like swan and yeah, and I mean, this whole thing. And there's also, uh, with another Satoshi Kon film, um, Paprika, um, there's a lot of that that's very inception <laughs> and yeah. um. Like that comes up a lot as well online. It's like, oh, is it a ripoff? Is it not a ripoff? Is it inspired? It's a whole thing.
2: Mm. I find that a lot with like Japanese stuff because even with Battle Royale, that is pure Hunger Games. And sorry, yes. but when the Hunger Games came out, I was like, that that's Battle Royale. Like you yeah. do not need to be making yeah. this film. This is Battle and, Royale. I
1: mean, now we've got Squid Game as well. Mm. Yeah, but, I mean, I I adore Battle Royale. It's
0: one of my favorite films. Yeah, Same. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do think I would quite like to see um, Aronofsky make, you know, perfect blue like for like in kind of like a, a real life setting. But also, you know, as we've mentioned there, I mean, Ukraine, I'm so glad you said that because years ago I was like, Hunger Games is a ripoff of Battle Royale. <laughs> no one would listen. So, you know, if we can like bring that back, that would be amazing um so we're gonna wrap up now on kind of like perfect blue uh I feel like we've all had I don't want to say a positive experience because it is a dark dark (laughs) film but like from a from a j-horror point of view and I guess you know as as people that maybe like anime or don't like anime like would you recommend this one like do you think this is something that people should go and, and watch and give this one a try
2: i definitely um, think it is like yeah, yeah. when when you say j horror people think of like um what is the the y- yure the kind of like mm. the ghosts of you know long black hair and that's what when you say j horror that's what people think of whereas i think this is a different take on j horror that perfectly depicts a certain dark Um, aspect of their culture and but it's also very relatable to every other culture in the world as well and I just think uh, just because it's the use of anime I just think it's amazing so yeah I definitely would recommend it and it's shorter than two hours so (laughs) (laughs) one hour twenty
1: I mean yeah absolutely I absolutely agree like it is it's a very different thing. I mean, when I first was first getting into J horror, I kind of mentally categorized them as, um, creepy, spooky, the kind of the euro and then the really freaking weird, um, and violent ones. <laughs> um, that, that was where I kind of mentally filed things like, um, well, itchy the killer and audition and, uh, but, uh, so yeah, so if you do just have a perception of J-horror as the yure, as um, that kind of that curse, curses, and all that element, I definitely recommend Perfect Blue as as a great kind of like just psychological and intense experience. And also, you know, if um, to get out of the idea that anime is, you know, if it's just Pokemon and uh, magical girls, no, no, <laughs> it's it, it's also this kind of thing as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's definitely intense. I think some people might have trouble with certain uh, themes of it, but it's absolutely worth watch. I would also say could make a good double feature with um, Cam, the Netflix uh, Cam Girls oh, horror yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's yeah. very similar. Kind of, like, and, like, that's a very different kind of trajectory, but they both have those themes of these industries that are about... Um, just a fixation on young women and their and their beauty and their personas.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I am also going to recommend Perfect Blue because I did not think it was going to be um, as as dark and depressing as it was but you know i'm all about that bleak shit so absolutely check out perfect blue um well thank you sarah and your green for joining me to discuss um jay horror i am going to continue this month by watching more jay horror i've got a few mm-hmm. on my list uh before you go sarah where can everyone find you um uh- you can generally find me on Twitter. I have uh,
1: an unhealthy relationship with that website, like I think most of us do. Um, but you can find me there um, at Sarah Jo Smiley, which is
2: S-A-R-A-H-J-O-S-M-I-L-E-Y. And you grain, where can everyone find you? Uh, well, you can listen to my podcast, What a Scream, on most podcast platforms. And you can also find me on Twitter at what underscore scream. Thank you so much to you both and thank you everyone for listening.
0: Please do check out all of our upcoming J-horror films and podcasts and until then, keep it ghoulish.